tonight. Welcome to Bible study. We're glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. I'm excited. I was in Ohio yesterday and uh, that was very exciting. I was watching my daughter play soccer. Uh, her team was playing the reigning conference champions at Notre Dame College in Ohio and uh, they came out one zero, one nil victors, and my daughter assisted on the only goal of the game, and so, uh, very exciting times, and so it was good to see her, good to spend some time, uh, got a few minutes after the game to hang out before the vans left, take them back to West Virginia, but uh, it was a, a good time, so thank you for everyone stepping up, for me being out of town, uh, Patrick specifically, thank you. Appreciate it. Gives me the opportunity to get out, see my little girl. It's her senior year, so uh, this was their homecoming game, even though it was an away game. I know. But uh, it was, and so we did see that, and uh, we're scheduled to go again at some point for their senior night, which will be another Sunday. But uh, as she's a senior, that's an important one, so we'll make sure we get to that, too, and uh, see what else happens. So take a few moments. We'll pray. And ask God's blessing on our time and move forward. Father, thanks for uh, just your presence. We thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for his power in our lives. Uh, we thank you that he teaches us and he brings revelation and understanding. And he takes your word and applies your word to us. And so, God, tonight I pray that your word would be brought to life. I pray you'd breathe life into that word and that it would come to life in us tonight. Come to life in our heart. Come to life in our spirit. Come to life in our mind. I ask you, God, that we would uh, just be open to receive what you want to say and what you want to teach us and how you want to challenge us tonight. I pray, God, that we'd be open to uh, maybe changing our mind about something or seeing something a different way or understanding something with uh, just a, a, a new uh, hue on it that maybe we didn't have before. And so, God, I just ask that you would lead us tonight, you guide us. I pray, God, you would speak. I ask, Lord, that we would be wide open to receive what your Holy Spirit wants to say and to breathe into this place, God, life. I pray your power. I pray your anointing over this time for asking in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you have Bibles, uh, go ahead and open up to the book of Daniel. Daniel. Daniel chapter 3. There's Bibles located on the tables uh, where you're seated, where some of you are seated. And uh, they're available for your use. Now we received a speak pipe message uh, this week. And so I want to take a few moments to listen to it. The speak pipe message comes to us from Shay 
UCF, which is located in Ziegenshore in Senegal, which is in West Africa. And so I haven't had a chance to listen to it, so we'll hear it all together. Hi, this is Tom from Shea UCF in Senegal. We have a few friends tonight that would like to say hi. Uh, hi, je m'appelle Parfait Tendin. Ouais, je suis du Sénégal. Bonjour, je m'appelle Océane Tendin et je suis euh, française. Et moi, je m'appelle Océane Katanjata. Yeah. Hi, everybody. This is Lori. Okay, that's our first kinship of the week. Uh, new members, uh, have a good one. Ciao. All right. Well, thank you, Tom, Lori, for uh, sending that to us. And we do appreciate people that are listening to the podcast to uh, send us messages. Let us know that you're listening and let us know where you're from, uh, maybe a little something about yourself. So on that, that was a perfect example. People introduced themselves. They told us their names. And uh, we appreciate them listening in Ziegenshore over in Senegal. If you would like to leave us a message, uh, you can go to www.speaktype.com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. When you get there, there is a button that you can toggle. It's like leaving a voicemail. And just leave us a message. It needs to be 90 seconds or less. Uh, is a 90-second limit, not imposed by us, but by SpeakPipe, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. So if you are a listener, uh, we know people are listening from a bunch of different places. We have hundreds of listeners from around the world. Uh, let us know. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to hear where you're listening to us at. So thank you again, Tom, Lori, for sending that along. With your Bibles, we're going to open up to the book of Daniel, chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, I need a volunteer uh, to read verse 25. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the God. Alright, thanks. Alright, so this is the story, you guys know the story? Alright, this is one you learn in Sunday school, if you ever went to Sunday school. Or if you had a Bible book when you were a kid, this is one of them to be in there. Uh, this is Daniel. Uh, in the times of Daniel, when the people were taken captive in Babylon, and the reigning king was Nebuchadnezzar, and so there were three young men that were also with Daniel. Remember their names? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Right. Excellent. You were listening in Sunday school. That's very good. And so... They refused to worship. All right, you, you got to remember, like back then, you ever see the movie Three Hundred? No. Okay, in that movie, there's a Persian king, uh, and Xerxes, I believe, is the one that's uh, that's represented there. Now, I'm not saying he was a giant or anything like that, but the the idea behind what they displayed in the movie is that these kings in this particular part of the world, when they became king, they consider themselves gods. They consider themselves godlike and having godlike qualities. And the people treated them as such. 
And so when they gave a command or they made an image of themselves or some other image and they commanded people and said, okay, well, you need to worship, you need to bow down, then everybody had to bow down. I mean, that was that's the way it went. And so Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they wouldn't worship. They wouldn't do what the false god. They wouldn't do what he told them to do. And so they heated up a furnace, I mean, a really big furnace, big enough people could walk in it, yeah, I don't know if you got that out of the right the part we left it. So they heated up this big burnish, furnace to the point that the people were stoking the fire, got burned and killed. I mean, that's how hot it was. And it was just, it was lapping out of the furnace. And it was killing the people around the opening to the furnace. And so it was super hot. This is a super hot furnace. They heated the furnace as hot as humanly possible and they th- they bound up Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego the three of them threw them into the furnace now what's supposed to happen is that they're supposed to get burned alive which is a terrible way to go by the way that's a terrible way to go but that's what's supposed to happen that they would be thrown in this furnace they get burned alive and they'd be killed and that'd be the end of it and that it serve as examples to others who refused to bow down and worship when they were commanded to do so. And I'm not talking about worshiping the real God. I'm talking about worshiping false gods or worshiping Nebuchadnezzar or whatever the case may be during that time. So they got thrown into the furnace. They absolutely refused to go against what they believed about God. They absolutely refused to worship another God other than the Lord God. And if you think about it, why does that make sense? Well, that makes sense because the reason they were being held captive in, in Babylon, the Chaldeans took them captive. The reason that God had handed them over to captivity, put them into this slavery, was because they worshipped false gods. That was the reason. And so they had corrupted their faith. They had corrupted what they believed. They corrupted what uh, they, they had been taught. And so because they had corrupted that, and because they had gone against it, and because they had made the decisions they had made, not just on an individual level, but on a national level, there was a certain resolve that was made. It's like, all right, we've lost everything. We've lost... Uh, all of our property, we've lost all of our riches, we've lost all of our power, our position, our families, we've lost everything. We've lost our nation, we've lost the temple, we've lost the city that we came out of. Everything is in ruins. We've lost everything. And they knew the reason why they lost everything was because they bowed down to worship false gods. And so here they were, in captivity, in slavery, in Babylon, and they were given the choice again. It wasn't that long ago they were taken captive. And so they're given the choice again. Here's your choice. Either bow down or die. Well, they already knew what bowing down got them. That's how they were where they were now. They already knew the destruction that caused and the the deaths that that caused and all of the, the... the loss that that already caused. And so they had already made a resolve. They had already made a decision. It's like, we're not going to bow down. We're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to live like this anymore. And if you look at the history of Israel, after they returned from the captivity, 
And you start looking at that history from the time of the return from the captivity, going right through the times when the Greeks came in and took them over, and then the Romans came in and took them over. They were consistently trying to get them to go against what they believed, to go against the Scriptures, to go against what they had been taught, to go against what they had believed, trying to get them to bow down to false gods. I mean, how many gods do the Greeks have? Think about it. Lots. Polytheistic. Romans. Same thing as the Greeks. Different names, okay? Many, many gods. They're polytheistic. So, even, you know, they would come and they, they took over the temple. They would, they would take the temple. The Greeks took the temple and, and they completely and utterly defiled the temple. And I mean defiled the temple in disgusting ways. And, and set up their own gods in there and set up their own statues and did whatever they were going to do there. But you have to understand that those people that had come through this and I'm talking about a significant, significant core of people that came through this and the families that came after them would never depart from it again. That was it. And they were resolved not to. To the point that they fought the Greeks and they would fight those that would come in and try to make them do the things that they knew that they couldn't do. They would even stand up against an empire to keep from doing that. They weren't going to go down like that again. Does that make sense to everybody? And so you have Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They're in captivity. They're in slavery. A resolve has been made. And that's why it's important that you resolve things before the moment. I'm just telling you. You need to have a resolution about things in your life before you're in a moment where you've got to face something like this. Where you have to face a hard choice. That decision needs to be made. Because if you wait around and you're wavering, kind of flip-flopping on stuff until the last second, well, that's no way to live. It may be convenient because you don't have to take a stand ahead of time, but chances are if you're flip-flopping the whole time, chances are if you're in wavering the whole time, chances are if you're being tossed about in the ocean on wave to wave, wind to wind, and it comes down to the moment of crisis, chances are you're going to buckle. Alright? And that's not saying anything bad about anybody as an individual. All I'm saying is, is that that's just human nature. And you're put into a situation like that, you've got to believe that there's part of you that's justifying, 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 justifying. If you ever found yourself in that position, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you're in the moment and you can justify not doing it. In your brain. You can just come up with an excuse. That's it. The issue is, that there are just certain things that we can't bend on. Sorry. There's certain things that the people who've come before us that have laid out our faith refuse to bend on, and they laid for us an example of what we can bend on and what we can't bend on. There's just certain things we can't. Sorry. And those things need to be resolved in God's people ahead of time because the day may come. I'm not saying it will. I'm saying it might. And if you notice the way things are going, it may come sooner than you think. Well, we do have to make a decision. We have to look at something. And we have to take a stand. And that's just the way it is. And so we need to come to some resolution in our lives ahead of time and not just try to make those decisions on the fly because we're not really good at that. When your fight or flight kicks in and, and you got that portion of your brain 
that's running things, you're not good at making really good decisions. None of us are. I mean, nobody's, you know, figuring out high level, thinking when they're ready to fight somebody or they're ready to run for their lives. Nobody. Nobody can do that. And so, not really. And so, you know, what they train you in when you're in any kind of training like this, what they train special forces guys in, what they train all these people in, is like you, you make all of these decisions, you do all of these things ahead of time so that when you're in a moment of crisis or you're in a moment where you've got to go about doing whatever you're going to do, you will fall, fall to the lowest point of your training or where you have made resolution in your mind, all right, because that's human nature. That's why those guys train all the time. And they train to a high level because when they're in the moment and when they're in situation, they're going to fall to that lowest level possible, wherever they're weakest. And so as Christians, we need to have some resolution in us. We need to have some training in us, in our brain, our mind, our heart, our spirit, that we've made these decisions and that's it. And some of you may think, oh, yeah, yeah, I've made my decisions. Yeah, but you, how do you buckle because somebody calls you out on social media? How do you buckle because somebody asks you at work, says, hey, uh, what do you believe about that? Uh, have you really made the resolution? I'm not making fun of you. I'm just saying that's how we are. But have you made that resolution? Have you really come to that point where you say, okay, this is what I'm about. This is who I am. And this is what's going on. And I want you to think about that. I want you to think about what if you are asked about something? What are you going to say? Because left to the moment, what are you going to say? You're going to get out of it. All right? Best way you know how. Because your heart rate's going to go up. Your respirations are going to go up. You get cornered. You're going to figure out a way out of it. Human nature. Fight, flight. How about just tell the truth? Now, interestingly, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar is an interesting person in the Bible. Because Nebuchadnezzar, and it says this in a number of places throughout the scriptures, is that God used Nebuchadnezzar in the history of Israel to bring them to a point of change. And Nebuchadnezzar was somebody who was open in some ways, and he was willing to see, willing to see, who God was to a certain extent. And so because of Daniel, because of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, because of who they were, Nebuchadnezzar was brought into a place where he began to see the true God. Now, did he ever know the true God? I'm not sure. Did he hold on to it if he did? I don't know. But what I'm saying, he's an interesting character because here's a guy who considers himself divine, all right, king of whatever territories he was king of, and yet he was still open. There was still a part of his heart that was open to God revealing himself to him. You know, and, and you can look at him and compare him to Pharaoh back in the days of Moses. Because God used Pharaoh also. And in the Bible it talks about how God hardened his heart again and hardened his heart again and hardened his heart again. Well, Pharaoh wasn't really willing to see God. He wasn't really willing to understand God or to allow God to reveal himself to him. But I see Nebuchadnezzar as somebody who was willing to do that. 
And so, in my world, Nebuchadnezzar is kind of a sympathetic character because he came from that same background, he came from that same arrogance, he came from that, that same power-hungry base, and yet there was some part of him that was still soft enough to have open eyes when it came to God. And so if you look at this story, and it's kind of it's kind of interesting here, he had heated a furnace as hot as humanly possible. And so he knew that. He'd had it done. And he'd had these three men bound somehow. They were bound, tied up, and thrown into that furnace. When you do those things, you take those steps, right, there is a expected outcome from that. And the expected outcome was that, and the given on it was, okay, those three are dead, and that's going to have a chilling effect in the kingdom because anyone else who saw that is going to think twice about defying the command of the king. Okay, so those are the things, that's Nebuchadnezzar right there. Somebody look at Isaiah 43.2. Kind of, I skipped this just a little while ago, but I want you to read this. I think it sets a good tone for what we're looking at tonight. Isaiah 43.2. Alright, so there's a verse in Isaiah, the prophet, he's prophesying this. And he talks about adversity, he talks about going through, he talks about all the things that could come against us and against God's people, and he's prophesying something to him. And he, right at the end there, it's kind of an interesting word, right? He's like, if you go through the fires of adversity, and then he talks specifically about you can walk through the flames and they will not consume you. And, he, and he's prophesying that, in Isaiah 43, 2, before this is going on. Okay? And so that word has been spoken. That word has been prophesied. That word is out there in all of its creative force. Because that's what prophecy is. Creative by nature. The prophetic word is creative. And it's described in the Bible as God's word does not return void. And the reason is, is because God's word creates something. It can't return void. Something's made. What? I don't know. I don't know what's made, but something gets made whenever God speaks. When God speaks through His prophets, something gets made. When God speaks His Word, however He's going to speak it, something gets made. When God spoke through Jesus, something was getting made. When the Father was speaking through Jesus and He was teaching and He was preaching, there was something being made there. Kind of like, you know, he's feeding the 5,000 or the 4,000. He's got the loaves and the fishes. And he blesses the, what he had, which wasn't enough to feed 5,000 people. But all of a sudden, it fed everybody. And there were 12 baskets or 7 baskets left over, depending on which one you're talking about. And there was that many scraps left over from, a, from a, just a minuscule amount of bread and fish. Well, he spoke. And something happens. There's creative miracles that happen when we speak the Word of God. And so Isaiah had spoken this Word. And it didn't fall to the ground. 
It didn't just get obscure somewhere. It didn't disappear. You actually see it here coming to pass in Daniel chapter 3. And I think that's awesome. I think it's awesome to look at a word that's spoken, a creative, prophetic word that's being spoken in one instance, and then it coming to pass and creating this moment in another instance. Here it is. You see that in the life of Jesus. Words that were spoken in the Old Testament coming to pass in the life of Jesus. Creatively. Happening. Boom. It's there. Oh, we see this. You see Jesus in that passage. Or you see the city of Bethlehem in that passage. Or you see uh, Rama and you see uh, Rachel weeping for her children. You see, out of Egypt I have called my son. Well, you saw that happen. You saw those prophetic words that were spoken hundreds of years before Jesus. As He lived His life, that creative work was done. And it was being done. And it was being done. And it was being done. And what's neat about the, the prophetic word, and what's neat about the creative work, if you think about how the earth renews itself, you think about how trees, plants, all of these, Living things renew themselves. The animals, the beasts of the field, they all renew themselves. Well, that's based on a prophetic word that was spoken, let there be. And it continues on even to this day. This is why you need, we need, to know God's prophetic word from the Old Testament. You need it. You need to know God's prophetic word from the mouth of Jesus. You need to know God's prophetic word that was written in the rest of the New Testament. And the reason is is because that word is not void, but that word is creative, and we need to get a hold of it. Because there's going to be times where we need to look at that and we need to receive that into our life as we're living out what lies before us. And that prophetic word is just as creative now in me as it was then in them. So if we're going to see this word and we're going to see this creative power coming to pass, we need to have a knowledge, we need to have an understanding. As far as I'm concerned. We need to apply it into our situation. We need to apply it into our lives. So we look at Hebrews 11.34. Hebrews 11.34 Hebrews 11.34 Read the verse before. Sorry. Alright. So I want you to think about how that word in, in Hebrews 11 is the Faith Hall of Fame. And so what I want you to understand from that is this exercise of faith that's being described in Hebrews 
has directly to do with the prophetic word that God has spoken over our lives and over His people. It's applying that word to see those type things come to pass. To see passing through the flames come to pass. To see escape from the sword come to pass. To see those types of miracles and those types of deliverances and those types of moving on the hearts and minds of whoever it is needs to be moved on that releases and frees God's people. God says that's faith. That's not luck. That's not being fortunate. That, that's, that's actually faith when you see that happening. But you, I'm going to give you something here is that you've got to recognize it when it happens. I really believe that. I think that's part of the faithfulness that God expects from us that when He delivers us and He takes us out of the jaws of the lion or He spares us from the sword or we walk through the flames and we're okay, we need to recognize that. It's like, I see that. I see that and I acknowledge that and, I, and I'm all about that. Thank you, God. And being willing to worship Him on that. Some of the, the most frustrating times I've had coming back to the church after a missions trip is when I'm trying to report on things like that and, and people are just falling asleep on me. Okay? I know it was my experience, not yours, but to me that stuff is exciting. And also just take hold of it. What does that mean for your life? It should mean something. It should mean something. And so, it, 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 to me, that's the moment. It's like, oh, I'm going to take hold of that for me. I'm going to take hold of that for my life. As I walk ahead, as I face the things I face, as the trials I come across, I come across, I'm going to begin to take hold of some of that for me. You know, I'm, I'm just being faithful as far as when I'm sharing stuff. And it's frustrating because of the reaction, but I gotta do what I gotta do. Because I'm gonna be faithful to what God's done in my life, and I'm gonna share what God's done in my life. Where anybody, whether anybody shares it with me or not, doesn't matter, because I'm doing it for Him and not for them. Alright? And that is important because He who is faithful in a little bit, God will give you more. And so I'm gonna be faithful to the little stuff. When God brings deliverance, I'm faithful to talk about it. When God brings a miracle my way, I'm faithful to talk about it. When God protects me, I'm faithful to talk about it. Because I believe as we recognize those moments, I believe as we speak forth those moments, I believe more gets multiplied to us. Now you look at Nebuchadnezzar here, he gives us an example of this. His first words, uh, some of your Bibles, if you have an old King James, says, Lo. Now but most of your Bibles say, Look. Look. With an exclamation point. In other words, look. So, so he looks into the furnace, okay? These guys get thrown in. He looks into the furnace, and he sees these guys. And I'll, I'll tell you what he sees in a second, but he sees something. He gets him so excited. He tells everybody around him, hey, look, look. Come and see for yourself. Because what was going on is what was happening in that furnace, his conceptions of what the power of God was, and remember, how, how small was his conception of the power of God? Well, him. Right? He considered himself on the same level, on par with the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the God of Daniel. He considered himself to be of equal standing. That's what he was always taught. That's what he always knew. And that's how he lived his life. So God was how powerful? As powerful as he was. And so as he looked into that furnace and he saw what was going on, that conception of the power of God 
was being raised. Why was it being raised? Because he was witnessing something that he couldn't do. He couldn't perform that. In fact, he had done everything humanly possible to make sure that wasn't going on in the furnace. He did. He got it as hot as humanly possible to make sure nothing like that was going to happen. And I want you to see, he was so excited by what he saw. And again, this is something... This is something that makes him a little bit different than some of the people that come before and after him. He looked in there and got excited that he was seeing something he had never seen before. That he was allowing his conception of the power of God to be raised by what he was witnessing. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever met people, they don't believe in something. Like there's some Christians don't believe in certain things. Like, certain things with the power of God, oh, that was for the old days. And I've run across them throughout the time I've been in ministry where, you know, somebody, I'll run across somebody, and I've told, you know, a bunch of stories about this, but I'll run across somebody in a church, say, and, you know, or, or I'll be, I would have, this way back in the day where I'd be in a church, I'd be prophesying over people. And I'd call up three, four, five people and just prophesy over them. And, and there's some pastors back then, they didn't like that. They didn't think that was for today. They didn't think that's how God moved. And so they'd shut it down and, you know, whatever, and I'd have to, and then I'd go preach and that'd be it. But if I asked them afterwards, they're like, yeah, I don't really believe in that. I'm like, well, were the words accurate? Were they accurate to the people that were in the church? Well, yeah. Okay, so it was accurate and God was speaking to them, but because you don't believe that's how God speaks anymore, then you're going to shut it down, even though you were hearing the truth. Yeah. Hmm. All right. How does that get into a person's life? All right. I want you to think about that for a second. I'm going to say one thing about that, and it's fear and control. Okay, that's two things. Fear and control. But they're rooted in the same thing. And that's why a lot of times people will shut themselves down from hearing or seeing what is right in front of their face as being the absolute truth. One thing we pray for every week at evangelism is we pray against spirits of fear and lying spirits. Why? Because those things shut down a person's ability to see God and hear God speaking to them in a moment. That's why. Strategically, those things need to be shut down for people to be able to receive. Now, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't afraid. He was already in control. He didn't have any cheese to hold on to or protect. He's the king. It's good to be the king. Nebuchadnezzar's the king. So he's not worried about that. He's just looking at this furnace. It's like, I ain't never seen this before. Look at that. Their God is doing something that I can't do. In fact, he's negating me doing my best to do the exact opposite of what I'm seeing in there. That's how powerful he is. And instead of hiding that fact, instead of brushing it under the rug, and instead of not wanting anybody else to see it, what was his reaction? Look! Everybody, come look! Come see this thing! And, and I want to tell you, there's something about that heart that speaks to me about who we are as God's people. That we need to be people that are, look, hey, 
Come and see what I see. You need to see this for yourself. That's who we need to be. Unafraid, unashamed, just standing in wide wonder of what's in front of us. Because Nebuchadnezzar, man, he, he had everything a human being could want and more. But man, he didn't have that. He didn't have that. He didn't have that ability. He didn't have what he saw taking place in that furnace. And he said it. He said, I see. Alright, so the first thing he said is look. Come see for yourself. So he's getting people around. He's like, look at that. And then he makes a, a declaration about something. He says, I see. And I want to encourage you to trust what you see. We're living in a time where people are trying to convince you not to believe what you see. They're trying to remove a cognitive dissonance that is necessary in our lives that we believe what we see and when people tell us something different, we know they're wrong. Okay? We need that as human beings. The, 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 the moment that people are able to say things to us that we can plainly see aren't true and expect us to believe it, the moment we start believing them instead of what we're seeing and experiencing, we're in big trouble. Huge trouble. I was just driving out, as I said, I was driving out to Ohio yesterday to see the game. And as I was going down the highway, it was we were getting close to it. It was raining. It was cloudy and raining. And so I said to my wife, I said, hey, what does the weather say? So she opened up the weather app, updated it, looked at it. Sunny, no rain. All right, so I have a choice there, right? I have a choice. Either I'm going to believe that my windshield wipers are gone, and I got rain hitting the windshield, and the road is wet because I'm driving it. And I'm going to believe the weather app that says it's sunny. I'm going to make a choice to believe what I see. Understand? Like last, uh, the beginning of the summer around here, they started putting in the local newspapers and news feeds about how there was a drought condition here in central and western New York. And as I was reading that, I looked outside and there was standing water outside everywhere. And so I had to make a decision. Do I think there's a drought condition or do I think there's standing water out on the ground? So I don't know if you took ninth grade earth science, but there's such a thing as a water table. And when the water table's full... The water doesn't go down in the ground anymore because it's full. And that indicates a non-drought condition. I was driving in the Adirondacks. They were still saying there was drought in the Adirondacks middle of the summer in July. Water, every river I passed was overflowing and flowing like it was the springtime in July. July. Water's coming out of rocks across the road. There's so much water up there. Lakes are all high. They're super high. I mean, over the normal places, over the banks, still drought condition listed on a thing. 
I tried to get I could try to get a hold of somebody's email so I could write them. These the people that that do that, they're through uh, NOAA, but they're uh, it's the University of Nebraska somehow that feeds the information to NOAA. I want to find somebody at University of Nebraska and tell them they should be ashamed of themselves for trying to cause that kind of fear in people's lives. Oh, there's a drought condition. And I mean, it was, it was more than one article talking about how, you know, we're going to have to conserve water. We're going to have to, you know, there's going to be water shortages, all this stuff. Western and central New York, you know this was one of the wettest summers that we had, right? They should be ashamed of themselves for that. But the only way anybody's going to believe that is if they don't believe what they see and they trust what they hear from the experts, all right? So, all right, I, maybe I only had ninth grade earth science, but I'm going to trust what I see. And if you're following me here, and I'm you know, not busting on Noah or anything, I'm a weather watcher for Noah, so I'm not trying to, to bust on them or anything. All I'm trying to say is, is that there, there, there comes a point, all right, in our lives, we need to believe what we see, all right? And, and you reach a point where you have enough experience to interpret things, you have enough uh, knowledge under your belt that you can begin to interpret things, you see something, and you know what it is. All right, and that's it. You can ask a child, is it raining out or is it sunny? They can tell you that if they're standing outside. I don't believe what I see. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, all right, well, this is what I see. I see these three, I see these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. I know we threw them in. Bound up. We threw them in. But I see no hurt in them. See, the fire gave light, which is a property of fire, but it had no harm on them, heat-wise. So he could see them because of the fire, but the Bible says that they were walking, they were walking safe of danger around in the fire. So that's how big the furnace was. And what he saw in there wasn't just Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, but there was also a fourth person described as a person walking around with them. So there's four people now walking around in this furnace, in the fire, not only surviving, but they were thriving. How do you know they were thriving? Because they were walking around. Now see if this doesn't make sense to you. They're walking around, but they weren't looking to leave. Got it? It wasn't like they were running for the exit. They were walking around in the midst of the fire. And so they weren't just surviving, they were thriving. And the word that talks about them walking around is the same word that you would use like for uh, walking around a garden. So they weren't being burdened. They weren't, it wasn't anything that was going on that was hurting them, causing them any problem. They were walking around like they were walking around in a garden. They just happened to be in a fiery furnace. And like I said, they weren't heading for the exits. They were just walking around. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was surprised. And, and interestingly, if you read the verse, one of the things that he was super surprised about was is that they were unbound and they were free. Right, And he was super surprised about that because apparently they had been bound up with a non-combustible material, like a chain. All right, 
And so, because if he was just bound with, a, with you know, like cloth, then as soon as they got thrown in the fire, it would have come off, and he wouldn't have been surprised by that. But he was surprised by the fact that they were unfettered, they were unbound, and that they were free. And then, after he was surprised by that, he was surprised because they were unharmed and they were protected. So, this is what he saw. And he wanted everybody else to see it. It's amazing. It's what he saw. And he, he wanted all the people that were standing around to participate in it. And to behold it themselves. See it for themselves. It was amazing. I want to encourage you not to be so selfish that you just don't give a crap if anybody else sees what you see. I do. I want to encourage you. Don't be that selfish. God's showing you stuff. God's revealing stuff. God's bringing things to pass. That's something we share. That's something we invite other people to see too. And as unsympathetic as Nebuchadnezzar can be, he's very sympathetic when it comes to things like this. This wasn't a secret knowledge he wanted for himself. This wasn't a secret understanding he wanted for himself. He wasn't worried that people would think less of him if they saw this. He wasn't worried about losing position or power or influence or anything else. He just saw something amazing and he invited other people to come see it too. Because it was. It was amazing. And he was shocked by it. And he was surprised by it. And he's looking at these guys, no hurt. But not only no hurt, not just survival, but here they were thriving and just walking around in there. And there was an extra guy in there. A fourth guy. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And there was one other guy. In there. He didn't know who he was, but he's like, oh, there's another guy in there. He looked like a human. A person. That's what you see there, okay? So he, he had appearance. It was a fourth person. Somebody had an appearance as a man. He was someone who resembled Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's the first consideration. Because he's identified as one of them. Okay? As being with one of them. But then he said this. He said, it's one like a son of the gods. Or some of your Bibles say, one like a son of God. So that word son means, and so add this on to the first one I said, he resembled Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When he says he is one who is like a son of the gods. In other words, he has the appearance of whatever comes after that. Because the son has an appearance of the father. And so he says, so he looks like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but he also looks like God. Hmm. Now, who do we know? Now, I'm just, I know, I know. I didn't tell you there was going to be a quiz, but I want you to think about it for a second. Who do we know that you could say man, God, about? 
who we know. Jesus. Yeah. So, good. Good job with the pop quiz. So, so that's what we know about Jesus in Nebuchadnezzar. Again, call it what you will. Again, he looked in there. What did he see? Honestly, he saw one that looked like a man, but looked like a god. Interesting. A heathen king, a god himself, in his own mind, looks in and sees someone who looks like they've been born of God. The son of God. Wow. So what did he see? Who did he see? And this is interesting because uh, like if you read, and I, I read like all kinds of weird commentaries or whatever, people argue about this. Was it an angel? I don't know. I think it was Jesus before he was Jesus. I think it was the Word of God. I think that he saw a theophany. He saw uh, God appearing as a man. And it's kind of that, that foretaste of of Jesus, that foretaste of who Jesus is going to be as the Word of God becomes flesh, that, that you see this is what He's going to be. And so I see it, this as a, really a theophany of the Word. And it's, a, it's really a statement here that as you're looking, as Nebuchadnezzar was looking into this furnace, and as Nebuchadnezzar was, was checking out what was going on in there, it's really kind of a cool word to us. And the cool word is this, is that even in the midst of whatever we go through, in the midst of the fire, in the midst of the furnace, in the midst of the heat, in the midst of whatever it is that we're going through, and whatever it is that we're seeing, whatever it is that's happening in our life, in the midst of all of those things, Jesus is with us. He doesn't abandon us. But He's with us. And the neat word about it is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... Did they panic? Not then. Were they panicking? No. They were taking a stroll like it was in a garden in the midst of the hottest furnace a person could build. And interestingly, they weren't making a break for the exits. They were just staying in there. Like it was okay. There's something about the presence of Jesus and there's something about God's people in the midst of fiery trials that makes the church grow. And I can't explain that. I just know it is. You had a church in China that was persecuted so hard they were just killing people, imprisoning people, sending people to camps, Pastors are being taken away. Pastors are still being taken away in China. Still being taken away. Easter services. They had, a few years ago in Beijing, they had Easter services outside. Christians did. Thought they were taking their stand. They were going to take their stand for Jesus against this government or whatever. And sure enough, I mean, the services went off without a hitch. That's what happened. They had their services. They had their prayer times. They had their praise time. Service was over, that was it. A few days later, all those pastors disappeared. wonder where they went. And there hasn't been another service like that since. 
people with scraps of Bibles, and I mean pieces of Bibles, Gospels, pages, maybe the Gospel of John, home churches, secret churches, grew a church into the millions under that kind of persecution. It continues to today. Thriving in the midst of the fire. Not looking for the exits, just living their lives. That's what came their way. And sometimes things come our way we don't like. Sometimes things come our way that we don't choose. Sometimes things come our way that we didn't really sign up for. It was the help of Jesus and the presence of Jesus that lets us thrive no matter what our circumstance. And that's the, the power of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm going to have you look up Hebrews 12:29. Hebrews 12:29 Thanks. Who's the consuming fire? Our God. Not Nebuchadnezzar. Nope. Nope. Not even the hottest fire that humanly can be built is not the consuming fire. You know who's the consuming fire? God's the consuming fire. He's the consuming fire. I tell you, you know, Jesus, He taught this. He's like, don't fear people. If you're going to fear anybody, who are you going to fear? And I mean, I mean in a healthy way, but who are you going to fear? God. There's no reason to fear people. There's no reason to fear situations, circumstances. We serve a God that is bigger, better, and badder than all of those things. And that was Jesus' teaching about the Father and about our relationship to Him. I mean, He must have understood that or He would have never gone to the cross. He must have. He must have understood that, that our God is bigger and badder and better than whatever circumstance He was going to find Himself in on that day in Golgotha. And sure enough, he was. It was almost like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were just waiting in the fire for something. You know, kind of walking around, kind of waiting. Not in a rush. Not trying to make something happen. Not trying to get to the door. Nothing. Just walking around. And you kind of think about Jesus after Calvary and, and how he was buried. And he just kind of waited around for a while, didn't he? So it was time to raise up and be resurrected. What was he doing? I don't know. I don't know. What are they doing? I don't know. Walking around. Do we find ourselves in whatever it is we find ourselves in? We go through whatever it is we go through? A lot of what affects and a lot of what's going to matter is our attitude toward that. Our attitude toward Jesus and His presence with us, our attitude toward having a patience to wait. 
Do you know how they came out of the furnace? Do you know what happened? you know how the story goes? He didn't take them anywhere. He respectfully requested that they come out of the furnace. Yeah. The same guy that tossed them in chained up. All of a sudden there was a change of attitude. Because Nebuchadnezzar, like I said, he had a change of heart. He saw his conception of the power of God was raised to the point when he went over there, he beckoned them out. He asked them politely to come out. Yeah. Circumstances change. Situations change. Jesus, not so much. And he wants to, he wants to make us into a people that we grow, we become, we thrive, no matter where, no matter what, no matter what's happening around us. I think that's part of His master plan over our lives. To teach us to be those kind of people. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. We're going to just take a moment. And I want you to consider, I started this off saying, you got to make your decisions. I mean, we got to make our decisions and and come to our conclusions, and that's it. And let's live by it. We got a God that is more than able, and and whether or not you see Him moving, He's moving. Whether or not you see Him doing something, He's doing something. We got to function in that. We're just going to live our lives in the midst of whatever it is we find ourselves in. And we're going to walk around in that and we're going to get to where we need to get to and we're going to do what we need to do and we'll wait until it's time to not wait anymore. Whatever that means. But that's how we're going to grow in faith. That's how we're going to see things change. That's how we're going to see how things affected around us. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would raise up in each of us a faith. A faith that is fueled by who you are and what you do in our lives. And I pray that you give us uh, just eyes to see when you deliver us. You give us eyes to see when you provide for us. You give us eyes to see when you're with us and you comfort us. Eyes to see when you bring protection over us. Eyes to see when miracles are actually happening around us. I pray, God, that we would have eyes, ears, a mind to comprehend when that's happening. That our spirit would be sensitive enough to alert us when those kind of things are happening all around us. So God, I ask that we would be open and that you begin to build our faith the God, the things you've prophesied throughout the Old Testament, the things that were prophesied throughout the New Testament, things that you speak into our lives through the mouths of the prophets that are around us. And God, those are real. And those words, they, they don't return void. And so I pray you to activate a faith in us to take hold of those. When we find ourselves in situations, we find ourselves in circumstances that we would exercise faith, like in Hebrews chapter 11, to walk through the flames. 
to walk through the fire, to face the difficult times and the circumstances and all that needs to take place. That's faith. Believing you at your word. That's faith. Believing your prophetic word to come to pass. That's faith. So God, tonight I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. I think we're safe. I thank you that we're safe in the palm of your hand. That no man can snatch us out. Thank you your hand is upon our lives. I ask God we'd live like it. Instead of living in fear. Instead of living all timid. We live like we live in the palm of the hand of God. Thanks for your love tonight. Thanks for your care over us tonight. Thanks for your protection. Thanks for your provision. I pray, God, if decisions are made, decisions are made, they'd be written somewhere in us that on the day of testing, on the day of trial, that we'd stand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Give you praise and honor, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the comunidad. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.